Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. You're listening to the sweet, sensual, serendipitous, and soulful sounds of Nerdery and Murdery. God, I hate you so much. Welcome to episode 69 of Nerdery Murdery. F69, peoples. I'm Zig with your Nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your Murdery. Welcome to another big week of the highs and the lows and the hijinks and the low jinks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh, just just went to Six Flags yesterday with uh, K3 and Lorelei. We had a had us a time. Oh, my God. It's hot as hell outside. We got there. We actually were waiting for them to drop the rope to get in. So. Oh, my gosh. We went and rode the roller coasters real fast, and then we went and rode cool rides. We were there for about four and a half hours, but there was nobody there, so we got to ride like fifteen things. Yeah, 
it was great, but you know, it was time for us to go, you know? Right. Yeah. Entirely too hot outside. I, uh, Oh, I just couldn't imagine. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty brutal there nor, near the end, but there were no lines. Well, we stayed nice and cool and stayed in the theaters and watched Thor love and thunder yesterday. Ah, that's a good one. Uh, I watched you, that last week. Yeah, that's that's great. I cracked up at the goats. Yes. Uh, just hysterically, every time the goat screamed, I just, oh, that was so funny. Well, and someone was talking about it. Man, that was the stupidest thing. I was like, oh, no, no, no. No, in the Thor mythos, he rides around in a ship pulled by two mystical goats. That's actually pretty close to the... To some yeah. of the uh, the old yeah. sagas, yeah. Which uh, Chelsea was telling me, uh, not only does he ride along with those goats, but when he's hungry, he eats the goats, and then they reincarnate. Yes. So, so yes, it did go into the into the Thor mythos a little bit. So that was that was really cool. I en- I enjoyed that movie. I, I enjoyed that movie a lot. I did too. It's one of those things that if you like Taika Waititi, you're going to love that movie. If you're not a fan of Taika Waititi, you probably wouldn't like it. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of his. I think he Me does too. some great stuff. Absolutely Funny. great. He's serious. Yes. Yes. I love, I, I just, I, I love his tongue, tongue in cheek stuff. And it's just, it's, it's great. It's great. Had a bunch, had, I had a lot of fun in that. So staying in the air conditioning for me. Uh, oh, the Spelunker ride. They brought the Spelunkers back. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we were looking at the exits. It was like, Jeff used to work in one of these exits. Yep. Nuh-uh. Yep. Yep. Yes, I did. Ones. I used to sit there at the end of the ride. Or not at, not at the end. I was Actually, I'd sit in the middle of it, help keep the boats moving along. Nice. So... Cool, 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 cool. Um, so with that, we will step over to the nerdery side of the house. Awesome. Uh, I have got uh, a, an interesting one today. I'm going to talk about Robotech. Okay. Uh, now, as of last week, all three of the Robotech series were available on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I checked them this morning. They're not available on Tubi right now. Which oh, is no. Terrible. Yeah, no. But... That Tubi will do that. They'll probably be back in a month or so. Um, you can go and get them if you've got the uh, uh, Funimation or the Crunchyroll app, uh, or you can buy the episodes from Amazon. But yeah, they should be back on Tubi here in the next month or so. Um, actually, by the time this recording is released, they may still they may be there again. But Robotech is an American 85 episode adaptation of three unrelated Japanese animation television series uh, from three different fictional universes made between 1982 and 1984 in Japan. The adaptation was aired in 1985 uh, with a combined and edited story. Robotechnology refers to the scientific advanced discovery in an alien starship that crashed on on a South Pacific island. Uh, With this technology, Earth develops giant robotic uh, machines or mecha, many of which were capable of transforming into vehicles uh, to fight three successive extraterrestrial invasions. So the way the Robotech put it together, um, there is a resource war going on on Earth in roughly 1999. And in the middle of it, on this deserted South Pacific island, this gigantic spaceship crashes. So Everybody stops fighting the war 
and they all go investigate the spaceship. Uh, and it turns out it's actually fairly intact. So they spend the next 10 years uh, patching holes and reverse engineering it. And they make some discoveries that they don't let the general public know. Um, but they basically get it all set up so they can they could form a world government with a space navy. Um, this particular group of aliens that ran this machine were gigantic, like 30 feet tall. Which is why they they developed these fighter jets that could travel in the air, in space, and transform into giant robots so they could fight hand-to-hand against these giant aliens. Um, so I was always bothered by the whole mecha idea. I was like, why do you need to turn an airplane into a robot? It's a perfectly good airplane. In this case, it actually makes sense because the aliens were 30 feet tall. Now, uh, the idea was eventually originally developed by uh, Carl Frank Masick. He was an American screenwriter, script editor, producer, and voice actor on numerous English language adaptations of anime during the during the eighties and nineties. His work is considered by many uh, to have been instrumental in creating mainstream awareness of Japanese animation in the United States. Um, Jerry Beck, one of Masick's former business partners, revealed that Masick died of a heart attack on Saturday, April seventeenth. Uh, 2010, barely three months before his sudden death, Masek recorded a lengthy two-and-a-half-hour podcast interview with Anime News Network, offering an extensive retrospective on his entire career. Uh, I believe I put a link to that. Masek became one of the most controversial figures amongst English anime fandom because he uh, streamlined pictures dubbed anime were among the, the first to be available on home video, but a lot of them said he changed the story around. Um, over the years uh, he's seen his share of detractors and proponents probably did help to bring Japanese animation titles to the United States his edits, rewrites, and mashups particularly the Robotech saga uh, angered many fans of the original titles and series to this day anime fans still remain divided between appreciation and scorn for his work I am in the former camp I think I have seen the original series that Robotech has drawn from, and they're not as interesting. At least to me. I think the story of Robotech itself is an interesting story. Um, because it basically takes... The, the entire world is at war when this the storyline starts. And when the spaceship crashes, we all get our collective shit together because we know something's coming. Um... Now, prior to the release of the TV series, the name Robotech was used by model kit manufacturer Revell for their robotic defenders line in the mid-80s. The line consisted of mecha model kits imported from Japan and featured in anime titles such as Super Dimension Fortress Macross, Super Dimension Century Orgus, and Fangs of the Sun Dogram. The kits were originally intended to be marketing tie-ins to a similarly named comic book series by DC, which was canceled after only two issues. Now, at the same time, Harmony Gold licensed the Maycross CV uh, series for direct-to-video distribution in 1984, but their merchandising plans were uh, comprised by Ravel's prior distribution of the Maycross kits. Uh, in the end, both parties signed a co-licensing agreement, and the Robotech name was adopted for the TV syndication of Maycross combined with two other series. 
Now, Robotech was one of the first animated uh, anime televised in the United States that attempted to include most of the complexity and drama of its original Japanese source material. So in the late 70s, we had uh, Space Battleship Yamato, which we called Star Blazers over here, and G-Force, which was uh, Ninja Team Gachaman in Japan. Mm -hmm. They basically tore down all of the complexities of that stories and, and dumbed them down for kids. But Carl Masick didn't want to do that. He was like, these are complex stories about, about people trying to survive in a cataclysmic war. Um, did I ever so tell you, want, did I ever tell you, by the way, why I hated star blazers? Why? Because G force ended on a cliffhanger. Yes. And then the very next day, when I'm expecting to come back to G-Force and resolve that cliffhanger, Star Blazers was on. <laughs> I am so sorry. So you hated it because it, it, it screwed you over? Yes. Yeah. I don't think they ever finished that storyline. They didn't. Even in Japan. Yeah. They didn't. Well, okay. So who's the bad guy in, in G-Force? He looks like oh, a, an Oldsmobile steering wheel. Okay. Yeah, it starts with a Z or an X. Yeah, uh, well, they end up taking his mask off, and it turns out he's a woman. Yes. Yeah, that's basically where the series ended in Japan, from what I understand. So, yeah, that's you. You got it all. They just they were prepared to do some other stuff for for us in America. They just they didn't do it in Japan. So, so yeah, you you, you never would have got the end of that. Sorry, man. No, and that, yeah, and that just it just made me mad. It always made me hate Star Blazers, and I couldn't watch Star Blazers because of that. Wow, uh, Zoltar, Zoltar, thank you. Yeah, but if you look, there's some other stuff that that happened before that that that, that we didn't get, like like some some scenes and stuff that they'd cut out in the original G Force because mm -hmm. it was you know it was weird and alien, and they figured kids couldn't handle it. So producers at Harmony Gold in association with Tatsunoko Productions uh, produced Robotech. It's, the story was adapted from three different mecha anime series. The Super Dimensional Fortress Maycross, which is the first season of Robotech. Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross, which is the second season of Robotech. And Genesis Climber Mospita from 1983. So, Maycross was from 82, uh, Southern Cross was from 84, and uh, Genesis Climber Mospita was from 83. Harmony Gold cited reasons for combining these uh, unreleased series was its decision to market Maycross for U.S. American weekly syndicated television. So, basically, what they wanted was they had to have a minimum of 65 episodes to show it um, every day. Uh, five de five days a week uh, after school, but they had to have 65 episodes, and each one of those didn't have 65 a piece. But all together, it ended up with I want to say 86 episodes plus a like a two part movie, which was basically just some the episodes cobbled together. So Robotech ran 85 weeks. Um. The combination resulted in a storyline that spans three generations as mankind must fight three destructive Robotech wars in succession 
over a powerful inner energy source known as protoculture. Um, so super dimensional force may cross, uh, was an anime television series from 1982. And according to the story creator, uh, Shoji Kawamori, it depicts a love triangle against the backdrop of great battles during the first human alien war. It is the first part of two franchises, the super dimensional trilogy and Maycross series. Maycross featured mechanical designs by Katsutaka Miyataki and Shoji Kawamori, both the studio new, and character designs by Haku- Haruhiko Mikimoto and of Artland, and Maycross created one of the first anime idols, Lin Minmei, turning her, vo- uh, her voice actress, Marie Ijuma, into an instant celebrity. So in in Japan, the lady who sang for Lin Minmei became a pop star in the early 80s. Uh, we didn't do that over here. It, uh, basically, she sang, she only sang two songs over here and they were, they were just kind of, it, the anime writers just basically put them together so they would have the songs because it, it does figure into the storyline. Uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Maycross was the basis for two different anime franchises. Maycross Japan, of course, Robotech. Um, there were two film adaptations, Maycross, Do You Remember Love, and a number of sequels, including Maycross Plus, Maycross 7, Maycross Frontiers, and Maycross Delta. In North America, Super Dim- Dimension Fortress Maycross was adapted for the Robotech television series. So how it plays out, the idea is that the Zentradi who are the 30-foot giant aliens. There's two groups of them. They're divided into males and females. They're never put together. They're, they're separate fleets and everything else. Um, they only understand martial culture. Like, they're, they're born to be soldiers. They're bred to be soldiers. They don't, they don't do anything in their off time. They eat, sleep, and go to war. That's what they do. They build spaceships. They were basically created by a group called the Robotech Masters, who we see in the second series. Um, but the Zentradi, when they're attacking Super Defense, Defense Fortress uh, 1 or SDF-1, which is the big ship that crashed that we rebuilt, um, which also turns into a giant robot that I don't understand. Um, they get broadcasts of music, and it freaks them out. Because they don't know how to deal with it. And they become obsessed with Lin Minmay. Well, the SDF crew end up using her as a weapon. Basically, they just broadcast her singing, and then they can go in and, and combat these Zentradi. Um, so how it plays out is, of course, the ship crashes in 1999, and they spend 10 to 12 years putting it back together and build a little city around it, right? Because they got to supply food and resources because it's on an island so when the zentradi come and attack they attack with an entire fleet they decimate planet earth so sdf1 takes off to kind of get the fleet away from attacking the planet but when they do they they really don't understand the technology they think they understand the technology but they don't really understand it so when they warp out of from the island they take the city with them so inside the belly of the ship, they basically have to rebuild that city with all these refugees because they may be the last humans alive. So 
inside this giant ship, they've basically rebuilt the city, and that's the hope of humanity. And they go off into space to try to lure the Zentradi away from Earth and fight them. And uh, eventually they start bringing the Zentradi over to their size, their side. The Zentradis have a mechanism for decreasing their size. So they're basically human sized and they start integrating into the human, into the human world because they don't just want to eat, sleep and fight anymore. They want to experience music and love and, and members of the opposite sex. So all of this is going on plus space battles with giant robots. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and the love triangle is between Lynn Minmay and this pilot named Rick, Rick Hunter. Who is a, a, he's a stunt pilot. Um, he, the only reason that he is there is that it's the day they're about to launch the SDF one and his older brother, I don't think he's actually his brother. I think he's more like a mentor, like he grew up with him. Um, is, is head of a flight wing of fighters. So he goes there basically to see him off. Well, he ends up because he's such a good pilot, they end up enlisting him in the in the service. And he ends up having a love triangle with Lynn Minmay, who he rescues, and the the XO, the bridge officer, Maddie Hayes. Uh at the very end, Rick Hunter ends up ends up with Maddie Hayes, and Lynn Minmay goes back to Earth. So they have this giant space battle, they get this entire Zentradi on their side, and they're there and they discover that um that there's a the Zentradi were built by somebody else, the Robotech Masters. So they basically take the SDF one and rebuild it because in the final battle it gets messed up. And they go off into space to go stop the Robotech Masters from coming to Earth. Well, while they're gone, they leave behind a small contingent called the Southern Cross. This is the second series. Um as a matter of fact, the the leader of a a particular unit of these little battle tanks uh Dana Sterling is is half Zentradi herself so the Zen, the the Robotech masters show up in one of their ships and uh basically start giving the southern cross hell uh the the southern cross are able to defeat them because they've learned a bunch of tricks um plus the robotech masters only brought one ship so they're able to defeat them, but they figure out that the Robotech Masters actually got the power for their technology from somebody else. They had taken over this world of the Invid um, and taken their bio biotechnology and used it to power these spaceships and these mecha and these robots and, and weapons and everything else. And the Robotech Masters can't can't reproduce normally they've 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 interfered with themselves so genetically that they can only be cloned and they're cloned three at a time so anytime you see a robotech master there's another two that are just like um so they get on board the ship dana and her team and they 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 meet this character zor who is uh one of the robotech masters but he doesn't have any clones he's he's a He's a singular unit, and he starts working with Dana and them. Come to find out, Zor is actually a clone of the original Robotech Master, 
who figured out how to convert the Invid's technology. Um, so he's basically a scientist. As a matter of fact, they refer to the SDF-1 as Zor's ship because originally it was his ship. He sent it to Earth to get it away out of the hands of the Robotech Masters to stop the Zentradi because he thought what we've done is terrible because they were also fighting the Invid at the time. Uh, and the the Invid were whipping their ass. The Invid were were wiping the floor with the Robotech Masters all over the galaxy, which is why they only sent one ship here. So at the very end, the Robotech Master ship crashes, and they open up its central core, which is a bunch of these these flowers, th- these plants. That is where protoculture comes from. The Invid call it the flower of life, and they use it in their biological technology. Well, that stuff gets basically seeded all over the planet, which kind of helps rebuild it because it has been destroyed like 30 years earlier. But it calls the Invid to Earth. In the third series, Genesis Climber Mospita or Robotech 3 is about the Invid invasion. And the Invid come in and attack Earth and wipe all of our forces here out in one day. What attack? Because the Invid come in mass. Uh, and the Invid has been beating the Robotech Masters and the Zentradi all over the galaxy. So they're the toughest guys out there. Turns out the Invid want to, they want to use humans, because they've discovered us, as a way to reverse the genetic engineering they've been doing for the last 10,000 years. because. They've basically turned themselves into basically brains, small brains with they don't have basically hands or feet anymore. So they have to run around in these mechanical bodies, these big mechanical mecha robot. So eventually the Invid, they start turning their themselves into humans and using the humans to infiltrate these these desperate uh fighters um so the earth decides to or i'm sorry not the earth the sdf has sent a force back to help earth after the invid invasion all but one of them gets killed uh when they're trying to take back the planet uh scott bernard and he basically forms a resistance movement against the invid on earth and starts working with these Invid that are becoming human to basically get the invid to, to, to leave Earth and leave Earth alone. Um, and it's a, it's a fight. It's basically like a road. The last series is like a road trip because they're, they're, they're going through and gaining help and followers. They send a couple of other, um, units down. They end up hooking up with Scott Bernard and uh in his little group. But yeah, that's that's basically it for Robotech in the in the story, but it's more or less how they uh incorporated those three stories into one story arc. That's fascinating. Oh, it is. It's it's brilliant. And and I just gave you the the nickel tour of uh-huh. the series. Yeah, I mean that's that's the cheapest one. I didn't even talk about Dancer. There's a there's a character who was one of the fighters who survived the uh 
one of the secondary invasions trying to get back to to Earth, um, named Lancer, and he's got a he's got a uh, a ship and everything else, but he's having to hide out. Well, he hides out as a as as a woman, and then he becomes a singer because he's a really good singer. So he becomes in the post apocalyptic world after the Invid invasion, he becomes the most famous singer on the planet. And no one realizes he's a dude. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's great. And he's also a, a resistance leader. Um, so, yeah, you got all of this stuff going on. Plus, all of the ships in Mecca are really cool. They're just really cool. Um, there is a lot of voiceover. I believe the voiceover is actually Carl Masick. Because he had to do, hey, this is what happened in the last few episodes, and it picks the story up. But yeah, it's 85 episodes spanning three generations. Um, it is not in – the, in the purest anime world, it is not well-loved. Mm -hmm. A lot of people had problems with, with these because they think that the original stories were fine. I have seen the original stories. I, I am not a fan. I can see where they I can see where the the stories are good but they're not they're not as epic as Robotech is. Um and of course they all concern Transformable Mecha. Now here's the thing, I was not a fan of Transformers or Gobots or or um oh, what was the one with the lions? Uh, uh, Voltron. Voltron. Yeah, there were two Voltron groups. I actually like the one in space a little better than the Lions, but yeah, I was not a big fan of Voltron. I like the Lions much better. Um, I like the ones in the space where they all the different things look like the that, cars. Yeah, all the cars and ships that all formed one big robot. I just I like the, the way that worked. Um, now the characters they didn't alter the characters' names in uh, in Robotech. Um, but they were basically the, the characterization was the same. Like S Scott Bernard was called, um, S S Brennan or something like that, but he was basically the same character. Um, they were really, really attuned to the dialogue mm -hmm. and it was rough because there was a lot of interpersonal conflict between these peoples. It's like, Hey, we can't just be going around gallivanting doing this. We got to save humanity. Hey, we, <laughs> You know, there were arguments, fist fights, people shot each other. All this was going on in Robotech, you know, in like 1985 and 1986. Um, Harmony, so unlike Maycross, which was owned by Big West, Harmony Gold was free to utilize elements from the Tatsunoko owned Mospita. So they used a lot of the elements in the third series. In the first and second series. So they would change the dialogue a little bit so it would fit with the, the overall story arc. But for the most part, you got the original dialogue just in English. Now, they did release some other some other bits, uh, the Shadow Chronicles, which was basically – it was one of those groups that were helping out Scott Bernard in the third series. And they landed and gave them some of this special technology that, that they – ended up using in the final battle. But the shadow technology stuff was 
was was written and produced later, but you did get it later on. So the Sci-Fi Channel uh, ran Robotech uh, and Cartoon Network's Toonami ran it in 1993. Our Sci-Fi Network ran it from 1993 to 1998, and Toonami ran it from 1998 until 2003. So it's been on the air quite a bit. And again, you'll see it on Pluto TV, uh, and Netflix ran it for a while. Um, and they would run the full series. It's, it's held up quite well. I mean, for something that's pretty much derided by, uh, by hardcore anime fans, people keep going back to it. You, you, they also did a follow up Robotech to the Sentinels, which takes place between, um, between, uh, the first series and the second series. Um, and in the first series, the second series, the first series takes place over about a year. And then the last 10 episodes are like five years later. And then there's a gap of like 15 years between the first series and the second series. The second series and the third series, there's like a five-year gap between the two of them. Oh, and yeah, everybody in the second series that was on Earth, the the the... They don't come out and say it, but those guys all got killed when they inv- invaded. They did do some novelizations. They did a thing called the Robotech the movie, which they showed in theaters. Um, Canon Films showed them in theaters in 1986. Uh, I actually think they showed them in theaters here. This is one of the few places in America where they showed them. Wasn't real big, um, but they did show it in 1986. They showed it that year for Thanksgiving. Like there was a special showing of it on Thanksgiving Day, and I watched it while I was, you know, cutting up vegetables with my mom. Mm. Uh, it was awesome. There was a, a planned Robotech three thousand that they were going to debut, but uh, it got a lot of a lot of fans weren't real happy with it, so they didn't they didn't go very far with it. There was a production of a thing called Robotech Shadow Rising, which was a supposed sequel to the Shadow Chronicles. It was originally intended to be released in 2009, uh, but they couldn't reach an agreement with Funimation Entertainment. Funimation of Las Colinas, Texas, by the way. Right. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the overdubbing that happens in Funimation happens right here in our backyard. Um, that's why they, a lot of the people at the cons around here show up have voiced a bunch of anime because they, they live around here. Um, Warner Brothers and Material Pictures licensed the film rights to Robotech uh, and were reportedly considering the production of a live action adaptation with Tobey Maguire. Uh, but nothing ever came to it. To it. Uh, Robotech Love Live Alive was a co-production between Harmony Gold and Tetsunoko Productions. And it was released in 2013. It's based on the OVA Genesis Climber Mosquito, but it's basically just a repackaging of the third series. Robotech Academy was a planned crowdfunded TV pilot based on the idea of the late series creator Carl Masick. The Kickstarter project ran from July to August of 2014, but was prematurely canceled after funding fell significantly short of its goals. Basically, after Carl Masick died, they, they kind of, it took the wind out of their sails. So right now there's no there's no idea to do any new Robotech, but they are showing it on different streaming platforms. Um 
So yeah, it's one of those things that you really ought to see. I get seeing the uh, the original Japanese versions, but they don't have the punch that Robotech has. You know, not as many characters die, and yeah, they kill off several main characters in the in the in all three series. You know, with the exception of the second series, you don't get a lot of deaths, but everybody dies at the end of it. So, you know, you kind of balance that one out. But yeah, Robotech was brilliant. Um, I liked it as much as Star Blazers. I'm sorry you didn't like Star Blazers. Yeah, I just I've I've always held that grudge for Star Blazers, but I've seen a little bit of Robotech. Um, not a, not as much as you have, obviously. Uh, oh, yeah. But you've made it sound extremely interesting. That I oh, think I, I want to go it. back and see it. It's a slow burn because, like I said, it's 85 episodes, right? Uh, and you know, there's a lot of like in the third series, they will like. You know, they'll go into town and, and, you know, they'll have to clean up like a Western. They'll have to clean up a town before they can continue on to fight the invid. So they'll, they have to take side quests because again, they're, they're traveling across the world that's been decimated. So they're, they're trying to get people back together. So awesome. yeah, it's, yeah. But yeah, when the Zentradi show, the first time, uh, Rick Hunter sees the Zentradi get out of his battle pod. He freaks out because he's like, Oh my God, why didn't you guys tell me they were 30 feet tall? And it's like, uh, why do you think we made the airplanes turn into robots, man? <laughs> so, well, that makes sense. But yeah, that's, that's basically it for Robotech in awesome. a nutshell. It's, it's brilliant. And again, if, if, if you're into, to, to hardcore anime, check out the original series too. Cause they're, they're really cool. I'm just a bigger fan of Robotech. Sure. I like watching the storyline, you know. Awesome. Well, I'll 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 give that a shot. Uh, I think others should give it a shot as well because the storylines sound really really good. I, I I appreciate that. That's that's awesome. Sure. So with that, I guess we'll step over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. For my episode today, I got my information off True Crime Edition, Wikipedia, The Daily Star, and Medium, and this is the story of Dellen Millard. Dellen Millard? Dellen Millard. So we'll start off, though, with Charlene Bosma. She was pacing the living room of her home. She shared with her husband and daughter in the town of Ancaster in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, Tim Bosma, her husband, had put out an ad saying he wanted to sell his pickup truck. He was a father, a contractor, and really just kind of an all-around good guy. He was contacted by two men who were interested in his truck, but they said they wanted to do a test drive first before they made up their mind. I understand that. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Tim decided that he would take the test drive with him just in case they wanted to steal the truck. And Tim had been gone for over an hour and her panic and Charlene's panic had beginning to rise. She said that the whole situation was strange because the pair had been dropped off by a friend, but there was no sign of the friend's car. So they just kind of appeared out of nowhere, really. Now, Charlene's calls to Tim Mobiles were going straight to voicemail and her texts were going unanswered. And when Tim had not arrived home later that night, Charlene called the police to report her husband missing. The search for the 32-year-old began quickly in Hamilton Police, citing the case as a missing persons investigation with unusual circumstances. Canine units were deployed, and the search and rescue team, along with most of Ancaster's small community, began their hunt. RCMP, baby. Yup. 
There was a press conference that took place urging Tim's captors to return him home safe with Charlene pleading for his abductors. Quote, it was just a truck, a stupid truck. You do not need him, but I do. Our daughter needs her daddy. Three days later, Tim's phone was found near Brantford on an industrial site around a 20-minute drive from Ancaster, but there was no sign of Tim or the truck. The investigation turned to the phone number that had been used to contact Tim, but police quickly discovered it was a burner phone, And but Tim wasn't the only person contacted using that number. Police spoke next to Israel Army veteran Igor Tumaniko, who was also selling a Dodge Ram. He told him he'd taken two men on a test drive just two days before Tim went missing, but uh, he returned from the trip unlike Tim. He was able to give investigators a description of the two men dealing that one carried a small satchel and had a strange tattoo on his wrist that read ambition. And during another press conference, the description of the two men were given. And within a few days, officers from Peel and Toronto agencies had called in saying they knew exactly who Hamilton police were looking for. So born in 1985 to Wayne and Madeline, uh, Dylan Millard was the only heir to the multi-million dollar Canadian air, uh, airline Millard Air. At the time, the 27-year-old owned several properties, including two condos, a farm, and a mansion. Even though Dylan's potential was bright, he chased the fr- thrill of living dangerously. He dropped out of college and started using drugs, progressing to harder and harder drugs. Dellen would fund drug and alcohol-fueled parties. His lifestyle attracted people who wanted to live that gangsta lifestyle. Dellen also lived up the stereotypical playboy image with having multiple girlfriends by hosting pool parties at his luxurious mansion, indulging in off-road racing. And he would commit petty criminal offenses just for the thrill of it. The hangar at the aviation repair business his father owned, Millard Air, was full of Dylan's toys. Vehicles, watercraft, equipment, and motorcycles filled the hangar, most of them stolen. He had a fleet of luxury vehicles and was a record holder as the youngest soloist Canadian to fly a helicopter and plane on the same day. His parents had divorced when he was young, and over a decade later, his father had committed suicide, making him the beneficiary of the family fortune, and he would let friends stay at his numerous properties and moved around so often that some of his house staff never even met him. Can you imagine that? No. No, I can't. It's just, oh, hey, yeah, we keep this house up, you know, most of the time, and we've never even met the guy who's supposed to live here. Right. Yeah, so, and can own all of this and is still stealing motorcycles and cars? Yeah, for the thrill of it. Why? Just the thrill of living dangerously. Well, well on the 17th of May, four days after Tim had gone missing, Millard was arrested by Hamilton police. The search warrant was granted quickly, and the next day, Tim's Dodge Ram was found in a huge trailer on the driveway of Millard's mother's home. The truck had been stripped, but luminol tests showed evidence of blood and that a cleanup had taken place, and Tim's cars were also found on Dillon's keychain. Police searched his other properties and were told by Chaz Main, who was a dirt bike rider who often rode around the land of the Millard Farm, that there were strange objects scattered around the property, including an industrial-incised incinerator. Crudely stenciled onto the side of the 10-foot furnace was, quote, the Eliminator, and inside forensics found uh, small bone fragments, including the remains of human teeth. Because of the fire damage, it was near impossible to collect DNA from the remains. However, it was believed the the bone fragments found in the incinerator were Tim's, and on the 14th of May, police publicly confirmed that Tim Bosma, Bosma was dead. 
Hamilton police had Millard in custody and they charged him with first degree murder, but there was still an accomplice to find. Remember, there were two men. Yes, there were. High school dropout Mark Smith sold drugs and occasionally worked odd jobs in Millard's hangar to fund his lifestyle. But unlike Millard's parents, Smith's parents were middle class. He'd been in trouble with the law because of the drugs, but also had a rap sheet of smaller offenses such as driving impaired and general mischief. He and Millard met in 2016, uh, 2006, and within a few years were going on nighttime missions to steal cars and other vehicles for excitement rather than profit, often burning the evidence at the side of the road. Friends described their relationships as initially one-sided, one-sided uh, that Mark worshipped Dell, but Dell hated him. By 2011, they had grown closer, and in 2012, Smitch and his girlfriend, Marlene Menzies, uh, moved into the basement suite of the Miller uh, family house. After a week of surveillance, Mark Smitch was arrested on the 22nd of May and charged with first-degree murder the same day as Tim's funeral, but the community of Hamilton was already devastated. It now looked like Tim was just a victim of thrill-seeking that went too far, but unfortunately, this wasn't the only victim of Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch. Ah, yeah. Well, they've got a furnace called the Eliminator. I would imagine this is probably not the first time they've done this. Well, by the time the arrests had been made for Tim Bosma's death, Laura Babcock had been missing for nearly a year. The 23-year-old began dating Dylan Millard in 2008, but the relationship was more of a friends with benefits situation, and soon Laura began dating other people. Laura was an, an aspiring actress with a bubbly personality. She had difficulty t- uh, a difficult time making ends meet after graduating from college, and she had a history of anxiety and depression. After speaking with a college friend, Laura was introduced to the world of escorting, and she met Sean Lerner in 2010. Sh- Sean was the polar opposite of Dellen. Where Dellen was the bad boy, Sean was a good man in every aspect, and he was clearly in love with Laura. But their relationship would end 18 months uh, later, although they stayed close. But then Laura started harming herself and self-medicating and was working for an escort service to pay for her habit. In June of 2012, Sean Lerner began to help Laura get her life back on track. He loaned her an iPad and uh, to look for her jobs and apartments and was paying for a motel for her to stay in. Meanwhile, Laura was sleeping with Dylan again, despite him having a girlfriend, Christina. Laura did not get along with Dellen's new girlfriend, and a feud developed between the two, and it rapidly escalated. Dellen would send Laura a text in April of 2012 that read, quote, You are harmful to me. Please do not try and contact me. The girlfriend found out from Laura that the pair were still having sex, and Millard told her that, he, that he'd take care of Laura in a text saying, quote, First, I'm going to hurt her. Then I'll make her leave. Then I'll, uh, I will remove her from our lives. Ominously, around this time, Dylan instructed a mechanic at Millard Air to make a homemade incinerator out of oil drums welded together. But after a few test runs, Dylan decided to order an industrial-sized portable incinerator on a trailer, and this was the Eliminator. Quoting one witness, this thing was huge. It had 7,000-pound axles on it. It must have weighed 10,000 pounds. Dylan also purchased a 32 caliber handgun from a Toronto arms dealer around this time. On the 3rd of July, 2012, Millard picked Laura up from the station and and the pair drove to his house. Her phone stopped pinging cell mass, but his mobile continued to do so, showing his clear movements that day. 
Mark Smith later received a text from Millard reading, quote, I'm on a mission back in one hour. Laura's iPad that Sean gave her is was connected to Dellen's computer and and renamed Mark's iPad, but Dellen later and later Dellen gave it to Mark. That afternoon, there was a photo that was saved to Dellen's phone that showed something that looked like a body wrapped in a blue tarp next to his dog. A Google search on the large computer asked, uh, showed that he had asked what temperature cremation needed to be effective, and a text message sent to Smith: "Quote barbecue has run its warm up; it's ready for meat." Hmm. On the 14th of July, Laura's family and Sean Lerner reported her missing to police, but they were convinced she would show up, seemingly unconcerned about the young woman's disappearance, giving her mental health and profession. (sighs) Police said that she lived a high-risk lifestyle because of her mental health issues and because she worked as a prostitute, and they refused to take the missing person's report. They said that she would turn up. You hear this too many times, and and, I mean, I'm not... I'm of course not in the police, you know, police business or whatnot, but that police refuse to take a missing person's case seriously because they're a prostitute, they're an escort, they're on drugs. Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, these people are being targeted by predators. Correct. In in, in a lot of cases, yes. Because because of be, uh, largely because of the the police idea, oh, she's just a prostitute. She'll turn up, right? Well, maybe she won't. Well, maybe, while, maybe, you, maybe you could have saved her life. Yeah. Well, while Laura's case did go cold, Sean Lerner didn't give up hope. He refused to let it slide and conducted his own investigation, obtaining Laura's phone records, and he called people on her history to ask if they had seen Laura. He also noted that the last eight phone calls were to Dellen Millard, and he quickly brought this information to police, but once again, police refused to look at it. When he heard that Dellen Millard had been arrested for murder, he quickly joined the dots and contacted Laura's family, who then spoke to Hamilton police, and suddenly investigators were very interested in this story. Oh, yeah. Now they're interested. Well, after his arrest, there was a search of Mark Smith's property in Oakville, and they found the iPad that Sean Lerner gave Laura to search for apartments and jobs, and they also found Laura's duffel bag at the property. There was a series of images showing the incinerator being used were found with Mark Smith posing in front of it. A recording of Smith rapping was also discovered with the lyrics stating, quote, the bitch started off all skin and bone. Now the bitch lay on some ashy stone. Last time I saw her outside the home. And if you go swimming, you can find her phone. Wow. During the trial for Babcock's murder, prosecutors alleged that Millard killed Babcock to get out of the love triangle and her, but her remains have never been recovered. Along with the mounting evidence against the pair, Dellen had written 65 letters to his ex-girlfriend from prison, stating they needed to ensure their stories matched. He told her to say that she was with him that night and that Laura had overdosed on drugs. And he also told Christina to destroy the letters, but she didn't. The case against both Dellen Millard and Mark Smith for the murders of Laura Babcock and Tim Bosman was strong, but there was still one more surprise to come. Wayne Millard, his father, had died from a single gunshot wound through his left eye, which was ruled suicide early on. His death was investigated and the case was closed, but what police now knew about Dellen, they wanted to have another look at the facts. 
Speaking to family and colleagues, police found out that Wayne was threatening to stop funding his son's lifestyle. Dellen was spending huge amounts of money and wasn't interested in the family business. Wayne didn't want his son to ruin the hard work the generation of his family had built and was about to cut his son off financially, but before he could take action, he died. Fortunately, there was still physical evidence from Wayne's death, which investigators could forensically test. The 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver used in death had been bought by Dellen just before Laura Babcock went missing and it had his DNA all over it. And also, Wayne had no gunshot residue on his clothing or hands. Throughout the trials, each man blamed each other for the murders, but in the end, justice was handed to both of them. Smitch contended he was actually in a separate vehicle following behind Tim Bosma and Millard, testifying that Millard shot Bosma while they were together in Bosma's truck. Millard's lawyer argued that all three men were in Bosma's vehicle with Millard driving, with Tim in the front passenger seat and Smitch in the back seat behind him. According to this version, during the ride, Smitch pulled out a gun and told Tim that they intended to steal the vehicle, and then a struggle ensued, but then Tim was shot by accident. Millard did not testify during the trial, but, but has repeated this version of events in interviews since, and Smitch strongly denied this version of events at trial. The Crown contended that both Smitch and Millard were in the vehicle and participated in the killing, and the Crown never def definitively proved uh, which men fired or uh, fired the gun, but as long as both had participated in the planning and execution of the crime, both could be charged with first-degree murder, regardless of who actually pulled the trigger. On the 17th of June 2016, Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch were convicted for the murder of Tim Bosma and were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. In December of 2017, they were convicted of the murder of Laura Babcock and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Then on the 18th of December 2018, Della Millard was convicted of the murder of his father and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. So he got 75 years. 75 years. Uh, it was during this trial by judge alone, Millard did not testify. His lawyer insisted that his father's death was suicide and the Crown did not prove any motive. Evidence presented by the Crown included the fact that Millard had purchased the gun which had killed his father and the fact that Millard's cell phone had been at his father home around, father's home around 1 a.m. that night where it stayed until shortly after 6 a.m. So Millard was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of his father, Wayne Millard. In the 90-minute reading of Justice Maureen Forstell's uh, findings included this statement, quote, I am satisfied that Dylan Millard killed his father by shooting him in the left eye as he slept. I find no theory consistent with his innocence. The judge decided that the sentence would be carried out consecutively instead of concurrently, meaning that Mark Smith would not be eligible parole until 2063, and Dylan Millard will not be eligible to apply for parole until 2088. Dellen Millard's sentence is the longest term handed down in Ontario history. Wow. Smitch will serve a minimum of 50 years in prison, and Millard will serve a minimum of 75. Millard's girlfriend, Christina, uh, pleaded guilty to her involvement in the cover-up of Tim Bosma's death. She admitted to moving the trailer and the incinerator and destroying the evidence. The 24-year-old received a reduced charge due to her testimony in Millard's trial and was given three months in prison. The remains of Laura and Tim have never been identified, but the remnants are likely the, those that were found in the Eliminator. 
So Della Millard threw away his seemingly perfect life because Laura Babcock and his father were standing in his way. We may never know what killed Tim Bosma, but all signs point to boredom and the audacity that the millionaire thought he and his friend could get away with anything, even murder. And that is the story of Dylan Millard. Well, so he's in prison in Canada. I hope he's freezing his butt off. (laughs) I I would assume probably so. He's going to be there until 2088 at a minimum. Uh, He's getting out of their feet first. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. So that takes us to the end of another recording week. I appreciate you sitting through through it with me at the stories. I really enjoyed yours. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I was a that was a that was a good uh, that was a good one. I'd never heard of any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, as always, you can find more information on nerderymurdery.com where you can find the links to this episode and pictures to this episode. Uh, you can also find the link to our contact information where if you wish to contact us, let us know things you want to hear, things you don't want to hear. We will take everything about it. We also have a YouTube page. It's got some videos of us making the show and some playlists, things like that. If you want to check that out, it's at Nerdery and Murdery. Awesome. Outstanding. Thank you for that. Thank you. You can also find uh, the link to our merchandise on our page. If you wish to find uh, your fandom merchandise so you can show off your fandom, please do check that out. And you can also find the link to our Patreon where if you wish to donate to keeping our show going. I promise that we don't use uh, that money for exclusive parties and limo rides to and from the studios. Uh, We do not. (laughs) Please and thank you. Please and thank you, as that does help keep our show going. And as a reminder, please do leave a five-star review wherever you can. It really helps us and helps others find our contact information that may be looking for the information that we're presenting here. So with that, I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Cue the music. Music.